So what I want to do is, before we take questions, uh, is go through uh, some information here about Satan's and the Luciferians' attempt at playing God. You know, let's not forget how it all began. I talked about that in the worship service. Um, at the root of the Luciferian conspiracy is this desire to be God. That's how it all started. Satan said, you shall not surely die. Uh, transhumanism is what the Luciferians call their driving passion to become God. And it has two basic principles, and both come from straight from Satan himself. The first is immortality. They've been striving to live forever. and That's what the lie that Satan told Eve, you shall not surely die. But then he went on to say, you shall be as gods. That's their second driving passion, not only immortality, but to become God. And transhumanism really represents a direct assault on the image of God in man. Remember God said, so God created man in his own image, the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. That's why the, this gender surrender movement, which I talk about, we have a, a chapter in the new book. Remember this uh, Spirit of the Antichrist is just volume one. Uh, volume two is already complete. Uh, it's in the editing process and it should be out in, by Thanksgiving. And we have a whole chapter on the gender surrender movement in there. I think it's one of the most demonic uh, evidences and manifestations of our day, the very attack on uh, gender. But Luciferians call this transhumanism. Often you'll hear it talked about in the context of the merging of man and machine. It's the redefining of humanity. Um, and uh, transhumanism, uh, so you'll hear things like transgender and so forth. It's all basically uh, meaning that it uh, transposes across multiple identities, that if you put trans in front of anything, you can make it be anything you want. So why are they pushing the transgender agenda? Why, they, why do they have this gender surrender movement? Because they want to destroy the uniqueness of mankind. They want to destroy the image of God and man. They want to eliminate, uh, by eliminating gender, they pave the way for what they call the singularity, this merging of man so that we've now created Man And even recently, there have been news items that some of the AI technology that all of big tech is using right now, your, sm your smartphone uses it, your computers use it, your security systems use it, the internet uses it. There have been recent reports that some of this AI is beginning to get out of control, and they've, they've seen uh, self-replicating AI, and they've seen uh, you know, artificial intelligence sort of come up with a mind of its own. But it's this creation, if you will, of artificial life or artificial intelligence. Transhumanism represents the most serious direct threat to God's divine design for humanity since time began. It's basically saying we don't need God, we have become God. And so I believe this is another indication that life is short, <coughs> excuse me, and that you know we must be nearing the end. Now I don't have the mind of God obviously, all we can tell is what God's told us in his word. And, and God, as I've said several times, is the ultimate arbiter of the timetable. He may, he may have us kind of hover here at this point for decades. I, I don't know. But I can tell you that it sure seems to me that we have reached uh, levels in this quest for this one world satanic system in just in the last couple of years that we've never reached before. And so along with this transhumanist agenda is the depopulation agenda. And so... Um, we know that they love death. Proverbs tells us, all they that hate me love death. And so they have been, uh, Satan is a killer from the beginning. Remember Jesus said that in John 8, 44. Um, 
they actually thrive on death. The reason they sacrifice children is because that somehow that brings them this sense of power. Uh, and so from a pragmatic perspective, one of the reasons that we see this depopulation agenda is because they see this world again as their own. Remember, Satan is the ultimate hero and God is the antagonist in their view. And they would like to have it for themselves, you know. Um, you know, people, people say, well, why would they destroy, you know, people? Why would they bring America down? And why would they do this? And why would they do that? Well, they're trying to create this, uh, in their view, utopian, it's really dystopian world where, you know, 500 million people, which includes maybe a few million elites and Satanists and then, the, and then a bunch of serfs that can help serve them, occupy the planet and everyone else is out of the way. So if you think of it from their perspective, I mean, would you rather go to Disney World or some big theme park and have the whole park to yourself where you can just ride any ride you want, whenever you want, you don't have to wait in line for a soda, it's the whole thing is just for you and your close friends. Or would you rather be in this huge theme park with a few hundred thousand of your friends waiting in long lines and all of that? Well, that's the way they view the world. They want this world as their own. So they're trying to destroy people and kill people. So I want you to understand there's, a, there's two aspects to this. There's the religious, satanic aspect of just you know, sat, human sacrifice, but there's also the pragmatic aspect of they just think you and I are useless breeders, and they're trying to get us out of the way. So what I want to do now is go through a series of quotes from either key Luciferians or key public figures that kind of understand it that illustrate uh, their depopulation agenda. And we'll start with Sir David Attenborough. He was an English broadcaster, is, I should say. Won't send him prematurely to his death, but he's uh, on BBC Natural History. And he said, we are a plague on the earth. It's coming home to roost over the next 50 years or so. Either we limit our population growth or the natural world will do it for us. Um, Paul Ehrlich, American biologist. Uh, he was also a former science advisor uh, to President George W. Bush. Um, he was very uh, controversial for his book in 1968 called The Population Bomb, uh, which he co-authored with his wife, uh, in which he famously stated that in the 1970s, hundreds of millions of people will starve to death in spite of any crash programs embarked upon us, uh, embarked upon us now. Uh, among the solutions that he suggests in his book was uh, including, included various forms of coercion, such as eliminating tax benefits for having added children, and, uh, and so forth. But he says in this book, quote, nobody, in my view, has the right to have 12 children or even three unless the second pregnancy is twins. Ted Turner, another famous Satanist, says a total world population of 250 to 300 million people, a 95% decline from the present levels, would be ideal. Uh, in our research, we went and visited uh, the Georgia Guidestones, among many, many other key places that are part of the Luciferian conspiracy. And you might have noticed that was in the news recently because somebody knocked them down, uh, but the Georgia Guidestones had in 10 different languages the Ten Commandments of the Luciferians. The very first one of us was to reduce the world's population to 500 million. So they've been talking about this in their writings uh, forever. Bill Maher, he says, I'm pro-choice. I'm pro-assisted suicide. I'm for regular suicide. I'm for whatever gets the freeway moving. That's what I'm for. It's too crowded. The planet is too crowded, and we need to promote death. And that's what they're doing. They're promoting death because all who hate God love death. Uh, Philip Caffaro from uh, my home state, Colorado State University, in his paper entitled Climate Ethics and Population Policy, said ending human population growth is almost certainly a necessary 
but not sufficient condition for preventing catastrophic global climate change. How about this guy from the Detroit News? Uh, Detroit News. He said, since this is Nolan Finley, since the national attention is on birth control, here's my idea. If we want to fight poverty, reduce violent crime, and bring down our embarrassing dropout rate, we should swap contraceptives for fluoride in Michigan's drinking water. Now, the context here, by the way, is that for decades, the Luciferians have been playing with municipalities' water. I have a whole section in, in the book on fluoride and the real history behind fluoride and what it's really all about. Fluoride's a poison. <laughs> it's an absolute a poison. And most municipalities uh, have... Uh, you know, fluoride in their, in their water. So in that, and by the way, they've done this before in San Francisco. They tried putting sedatives in the water. The government officials said, ah, oh, these citizens, they're just too hard to control. We need to control them. Well, we'll just put sedatives in the water, put drugs, narcotics in the water. So this is nothing new. Everybody, of course, knows about Margaret Sanger. Uh, she said, all of our problems are the result of overbreeding among the working class. The most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. Nina Fedorov who was a key advisor to Hillary Clinton, said, we need to continue to decrease the growth rate of the global population. The planet can't support many more people. And then, of course, Barack Obama's primary science advisor, John P. Holdren, got a lot of attention when he wrote in his book, a program of sterilizing women after their second and third child, despite the relatively greater difficulty of the operation than a vasectomy, might be easier to implement than trying to sterilize men. He said the development of a long-term sterilizing capsule that could be implanted under the skin and removed when pregnancy is desired opens additional possibilities for coercive fertility control. The capsule could be implanted at puberty and might be removable with official permission for a limited number of births. These are the people that are inside the Beltway in Washington, D.C., running things. And if you think it matters whether it's a Republican or Democrat, then you, you really need to look into that because... You've bought one of the biggest lies that Satan is telling, which is there is a right-left paradigm. Republicans are good, Democrats are bad. Fox News is good, CNN is bad. You've already lost the battle if you're still thinking that way. These people are running the country, and this is what they want. David Brower from one of the uh, uh, Luciferian uh, nonprofits, the Sierra Club, he said childbearing should be a punishable crime against society unless the parents hold a government license. All potential... Parents should be required to use contraceptive chemicals, the government issuing antidotes to citizens chosen for childbearing. A lot of you may not be aware that the United States has an Office of Population Affairs. It's part of the Health and Human Services Department. Look it up. Thomas Ferguson, former official in the U.S. Department Office of Population Affairs, said this, there is a single theme behind all of our work. We must reduce population levels. Once population is out of control, it requires authoritarian government, even fascism, to reduce it. Uh, if you go to their website, notice what it says. You probably can't read that because it's so small. Let me pull it out in the larger print. The Office of Population Affairs advises the Secretary and Assistant Secretary for Health on a wide range of productive and adolescent health topics, including teen pregnancy prevention, family planning, and sterilization. Did you know that your tax dollars, not only do they go to provide abortion, they also go to provide sterilization. Now, why would this U.S. government need a population, an Office of Population Affairs, OPO? Ask yourself that question and then dig a little deeper. The famous Jacques Cousteau quote, in order to stabilize world population, we must eliminate 350,000 people per day. 
It's a horrible thing to say, but it is just as bad not to do it. Henry Kissinger said depopulation should be the highest priority of foreign policy towards the third world because the U.S. economy will require large and increasing amounts of minerals from abroad, especially from less developed countries. I mean, they're just saying it wide open. And, and that's why we go into these third world countries. That's why we sterilize them through a vaccination programs so that we can reduce their population and eventually have their natural resources for ourselves. Back in 2009, a group of billionaires secretly met in New York City and the whole purpose of their meeting was how they can use their money, their private wealth, to help advance the depopulation agenda. The New York Times uh, kind of caught wind of it. I'm sorry, the Wall Street Journal kind of caught wind of it, and, and then it kind of broke, broke the story. But on the screen here from right to left, those at this meeting were Bill Gates, Ted Turner, George Soros, David Rockefeller, Michael Bloomberg, Oprah Winfrey, and Warren Buffett. And the Wall Street Journal, as I said, uh, covered the meeting of the billionaires. It was held at the home of Sir Paul Nurse, who at the time was president of Rockefeller University. And the whole point of the meeting, according to their private invitation, was to consider how their wealth could be used to slow the growth of the world's population. Bill Gates recently said in a TED Talk within the last couple of years, quote, if we do a really good job with vaccines, we could lower the population growth by as much as 10 to 15 percent. Now just let that sink in. If we do a really good job with vaccines, we can lower the population growth by as much as 10 to 15 percent. Wait a minute. I thought vaccines were supposed to make us healthy. So you need to read chapter 9 in Spirit of the Antichrist. It's the biggest chapter in the book, and it exposes the, the truth behind uh, vaccines. Uh, Prince Philip, of course, said in the event that I am reincarnated, I would like to return as a deadly virus in order to contribute something to solve overpopulation. Uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski, who worked for Democrat and Republican uh, administrations alike, everything from Carter to Reagan, uh, and LBJ is when he's got his start. Uh, that's how you can really tell that there's a fake left-right paradigm, when all of these key leaders, like Donald Rumsfeld and others, are working both sides of the aisle in both administrations for decades. But Brzezinski uh, said, this regionalization, talking about the globalist agenda of one-worldism, with the trilateral plan calls for a gradual convergence of East and West, ultimately leading toward the goal of a one-world government. National sovereignty is no longer a viable concept. He said the tectronic era involves the gradual appearance of a more controlled society. Such a society would be dominated by an elite unrestrained by traditional values, and in the context he's talking about national liberty, national sovereignty, and individual freedom. But notice... Soon it will be possible to assert almost continuous surveillance over every citizen and maintain up-to-date, complete files containing even the most personal information about the citizen. These files will be subject to instantaneous retrieval by authorities. Shortly, the public will be unable to reason or think for themselves. They'll only be able to parrot the information they've been given on the previous night's news. Persisting social crisis, the emergence of a charismatic personality, and the exploitation of mass media to obtain public confidence would be the stepping stones in the piecemeal transformation of the United States into a highly controlled society. In other words, all we need is some hugely, enormously popular personality who gains a huge populist movement to come on the scene and convince everybody, Democrat and Republican alike, Christian and non-Christian alike, to take an experimental gene-editing bioinjection that will kill you. That's all we need, and then we can accomplish this. Sound familiar? He also famously said right before his death in 2017, and this is very telling, 
Today, it is infinitely easier to kill one million people than to control one million people. That's what he said. Transhumanism. Returning to this element of the grand conspiracy, our friend Klaus Schwab that we talked about in the first hour, uh, he's right at the center of this web of the new global order that's being established. He's an all-out, out-and-out transhumanist. And he talks about this repeatedly in his writings. He said, the mind-boggling innovations triggered by the Fourth Industrial Revolution. That's another watch phrase. He, his book in 2013 was called The Fourth IR, The Fourth Industrial Revolution. Then he wrote The Great uh, Reset, and then he wrote The Great Narrative, which, which just came out this year. But he says uh, that it will be triggered by the Fourth IR from biotechnology to AI. Are, these are redefining what it means to be human. I want you to watch these next few quotes, the number of times people talk about how we need to redefine what it means to be human. He says, the future will challenge our understanding of what it means to be human from both a biological and social standpoint. Already, advances in neurotechnologies and biotechnologies are forcing us to question what it means to be human. And his little protege, you may have heard of this guy, Yuval Noah Harari, uh, basically says humans are now hackable animals. He said a lot of other distasteful things, too. Um, and uh, uh, he's kind of the, if, and I'm not suggesting this is the case, but if Schwab were the beast, Harari would be the false prophet. They're kind of to you're hand in hand there. One's the chief in charge, the other's kind of the protege working alongside him. But what they are looking at is what's called the IoT, the Internet of Things, and Catherine Austin Fitz in her uh, uh, Planet Lockdown documentary says, quote, the technocracy that they are pushing towards us is what's called transhumanism. Essentially, what you do is you use injections to inject materials into the body that create the equivalent of an operating system and a receiver. And you can literally hook up anybody, everybody, to the cloud. It's called the Internet of Things. You are basically talking about being able to digitally identify and track people in connection with their financial transactions. So it's a world of zero privacy. You're now talking about a system where every central bank in the world can shut you off individually from transacting if they do not like the way you are behaving. So that means even if you're having a garage sale and you want to sell an old igloo cooler, the only legal means of exchange will be digital. And they can turn you off with the flip of the switch, just like they can change the election with the flip of a switch. And, and then you won't even be able to pay your neighbor. You won't be able to travel. You won't be able to do these things. Um, remember, everybody talks about the benefits of the cloud, cloud technology, but the cloud is just somebody else's computer. That's all it is. Surely we understand it's a metaphor. There's not literally like some invisible, independent computer floating around in the atmosphere that you send your stuff to, right? The cloud is just somebody else's computer. And when it comes to the Luciferian agenda, the cloud is Satan's computer, Satan's Cloud. Now, Ray Kurzweil is probably the, the biggest hero uh, of the transhumanist agenda, and he says, our desire is to create a post-human species. People, quote his words, will no longer be human. And he works with people like Elon Musk, Bill Gates, and many others uh, as his co-conspirators in helping to accomplish this. He was once asked in an interview, do you think God exists? And he, he says, well, I would say not yet. Not yet. We're working on it. Remember what Satan's two goals were, immortality and to become God. And this is what the transhumanists are doing. Elon Musk famously said, soon it will be able to 
Soon we will be able to turn you into a butterfly if we want to. The ellipsis there had a few more colorful, colorful adjectives that I left out for obvious reasons. But that's Elon Musk for you. But you're seeing this everywhere. The Wall Street Journal uh, ran a piece in the height of the pandemic in June of 2020 called Looking Forward to the End of Humanity. It's called the Biodigital Convergence. Uh, Tal Zaks was the chief medical officer of Moderna when they were tasked with uh, helping come up with one of these uh, gene editing bioinjections and were given trillions of dollars to do it, by the way. And by the way, that one of the chief board members from Moderna was put in charge by Donald Trump of Operation Warp Speed. Now, if that's not a conflict of interest, I don't know what is. But anyway, it's been scrubbed from the Internet now, but for years up until... Uh, the, the pandemic and the rush to create this experimental gene editing bioinjection, uh, their tagline on their website, you can still find it in the archives, was, Welcome to Moderna. We believe mRNA is the software of life. Remember what we said earlier about transhumanism is, is somehow a way of injecting you with an operating system so that you can be controlled. This is what they want. Now, this gal was a key leader in the World Economic Forum, working directly with Klaus Schwab until she took a position in Canada as the head of strategic foresight, or as the uh, uh, head of policy horizon. She was head of strategic foresight in, in World Economic Forum. Now she's the head of policy horizons in Canada. And she said, in the coming years, biodigital technologies can be woven into our lives in the way that digital systems are now. Biological and digital systems are converging and could change the way we work, live, and even evolve as a species. More than a technological change, this biodigital convergence may transform the way we understand ourselves, and watch this, and cause us to redefine what we consider human. They've got to redefine humanity because God created humanity in his own image. It has a biblical definition. It's the imago Dei, and they don't want anything to do with that. So they're trying to recondition people into thinking, that humanity, the way you thought of it, is old school, it's passe, it's medieval. Now you need to come up to the future and get a glimpse of the future through the eyes of transhumanism. For the sake of time, I won't read parts of this article, but it, it would shake you to the bone to read in that same Policy Horizons newsletter, they came out with a hypothetical uh, story uh, from the year 2030 when this has all already happened, and, it, and it's, it's, uh, they call it a glimpse of the future through the eyes of transhumanism. It's a person waking up who is, you know, the convergence, the, the complete merging of man and machine. And it just paints a picture that, uh, as scary as it is, is not too far from reality. And, it, and they think, they think that they're right on the cusp of it, that it's right around the corner. Again, God is God and God is sovereign. And we don't know, if, you know, what his timetable is, but I can sure tell you what they're Timetable. So what we're talking about here is a concept called vitalism. It's the notion that there is a fundamental difference between living and dead organisms, or between living beings and inanimate objects. It's called vitalism, and that is disappearing with the onslaught of transhumanism. It's what our kids are being taught in the compulsory government schooling. It's what our kids are being taught in universities, including so-called Christian universities. Uh, we are experiencing blurring of the distinction between the organic and natural and the digital synthetic. So you remember the, uh, the old commercials for I can't believe it's not butter, right? Well, now we're getting into I can't believe it's not human, literally. They're creating robots that you cannot tell the difference between a human 
and a digital uh, creation. Uh, back to Klaus Schwab, the fourth IR technologies will not stop at becoming part of the physical world around us. They will become part of us, he said. Today's external devices, from wearable computers to virtual reality headsets, will almost certainly be implanted in our bodies and brains. Active implantable microchips will break the skin barrier of our bodies, and smart tattoos, biological computing, and custom-designed organisms will be common. The whole section of his book, 4IR, and this was 10 years ago, or 9 years ago, is devoted to the theme of, alter, quote, altering the human being. They've been talking about this for years. And they rolled it out right on schedule with the pre-planned control of virus scandemic that was 22 years in the making and came out right on schedule. Smart dust, arrays of full computers with antennas, each much smaller than a grain of sand, can now organize themselves inside the body. These technologies will operate within our own biology and change how we interface with the world. They're capable of crossing the boundaries of body and mind, enhancing our physical abilities, and even having a lasting impact on life itself. These technologies can intrude into the hitherto private space of our minds, reading our thoughts and influencing our behaviors. Implanted devices will likely also help to communicate thoughts normally expressed verbally through a built-in smartphone. See the language they're using there? And potentially unexpressed thoughts or moods by reading brain waves and other signals. Uh, the next trending business model might involve someone trading access to his or her thoughts for the time-saving option of typing a social media post by thought alone. In other words, someone will call me up and say, hey, JB, we'd like you to write an article for whoever. And uh, instead of me saying, sure, what's the deadline, how many words, um, they'll say, if you're in, let me know, and we'll tap in, and you just think about it for a few minutes. We'll grab it, and meanwhile, we'll transfer the money into your cryptocurrency account. And it's just that quick. I mean, think about the implications of this. As capabilities in this arena improve, the temptation for law enforcement agencies and courts to use techniques to determine the likelihood of criminal activity, this is pre-crime, they've been conditioning us this for years with Hollywood movies, assess guilt or even possibly retrieve memories from direct, directly from people's brains will increase. Oh, you think they will? Of course they will. That's what it's all about, control. See, if Satan is going to issue, going to preside over a global a technocracy where everyone is controlled. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He can't be everywhere at one time. God can. God controls the world with the snap of his finger. He's God. But Satan can't. So how are the things that we read about in Revelation during the tribulation period going to be accomplished? Right? Well, through technology. And so someone is accused of a crime, they'll just read your mind. Find out if you did it or didn't do it. And notice, even crossing a national border might one day involve a detailed brain scan to ass assess an individual's security risks. So that's transhumanism. Um, here are some of the topics that we talk about in the book, The False Left-Right Paradigm, which I've addressed or, I mean, referenced frequently. Fake news and censorship. Uh, we, were, we experienced that firsthand. To date, we've had 11 videos banned from YouTube. We quit using YouTube two years ago because they started banning my videos. And the way it works is they ban one and you're on, you know, probation for two weeks and can't use YouTube. And then, and then if you don't, if you behave yourself, then they'll let you use it again. But if you get three strikes within a certain period of time, they ban you altogether. So we played the game for a little bit at first, but eventually we said, forget it. 
and we quit using YouTube. We now handle all of our video and podcasts and everything right through our website. Uh, and it's all free. I encourage you to check it out. We do several videos a week and podcasts a week, so notbyworks.org. And by the way, sign up for our newsletter. That's a great way to stay in touch with when we post new new things. But um, but that's all part of the control grid. They've got to control the narrative. And in this age of the Internet, you know, there were too many truth-tellers out there exposing the lies. And so they just start clamping down on them, shutting down their Twitter accounts, shutting down their Facebook accounts, shutting down their YouTube accounts. So we talk about that. False flags, if you don't know what that is, there's a whole chapter on that. Geoengineering, uh, talk a lot about that. We have a whole chapter on that. And the Hegelian dialectic, they go together. Uh, Hegelian dialectic is also called problem, reaction, solution, or uh, controlled opposition. It's what Fox News and CNN are all about. Eugenics and depopulation, that's what we just talked about and gave you some highlights there. I mentioned vaccines and big pharma, and also MK Ultra and mind control. So uh, the whole premise of the book is to basically say if the spirit of the Antichrist is already around us, the closer we get to the end times, we ought to see an uptick in all of those characteristics. Do we? And the answer is an overwhelming yes. Doesn't mean the rapture is going to happen tomorrow. We don't know the mind of the Lord or his timetable. But certainly Jesus tells us just like you can look at the sky and discern the weather, you ought to look at the signs of the times. And we're looking at uh, the signs of those times. So with that, I will open the floor, if that's okay, to questions. If you could speak really loud, because I'm hard of hearing, and I'll try to repeat the question uh, for everybody. Questions, comments, thoughts, anything to kind of get the discussion going. Yeah. Yeah, so the question is, the transhumanism technology that we were discussing uh, sounds similar to what the Bible talks about in the tribulation as the uh, mark of the beast. So I get that question a lot in a slightly different way. People will just ask, you know, do I think uh, the vaccine is the mark of the beast? And the answer is the mark of the beast will not, as you I'm sure know, will not come into play until after the rapture. It's a part of the governmental globalist system that the Antichrist and the false prophet institute. And at that, it appears from the text, they don't really even institute that until three and a half years in, right? So, so the answer is, is the technology that we see now, could that be the technology he uses? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it fits the bill perfectly because it allows a, one central server to track every single person and they can control everything about you at that point. So yes, that could be the technology. It doesn't mean that's the mark of the beast, but it, that it could be the technology that the, they use for the mark of the beast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the mark of the beast in the, the book of Revelation during the tribulation is only taken by unbelievers, of course, uh, those who trust Christ. So remember what's going to happen during the, during the seven years. 144,000 Jewish witnesses are marked out at the beginning of the seven years to spread the gospel. And there's a huge harvest of souls uh, during the tribulation. Uh, and many of those who trust Christ will be martyred. They'll be beheaded by the satanic regime. Uh, many won't. They'll hide out in the hills. They'll hide out whatever. But uh, to, to put it in you know, chronological perspective, uh, after the rapture, 
And I have a whole DVD on called One Minute After the Rapture. It's really interesting. I talk about ten characteristics for unbelievers and seven for believers one minute after the rapture. But right after the rapture, everyone on earth at that point is an unbeliever. Because all believers are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, then God supernaturally marks out 144,000 people that are all Jewish because that seven-year tribulation is totally Jewish in nature. It's the completion of God's 490-year timetable. Uh, we just did a podcast on that. It's the most recent podcast in our list called God's 490-year timetable. I encourage you to listen to that. But uh, So he marks them out. Immediately they start getting a harvest of souls as they share the gospel and people believe it. Uh, as time goes on and there's all the devastation of the wrath of God being poured out and the wrath of Satan being poured out and per persecution and martyrdom, by the time you get to the very near the end with the Battle of Armageddon in Revelation 14, God sends out an angel to share the gospel because time is short and Jesus had promised in Matthew 24, 14 that prior to his return to establish the kingdom, talking about the second coming, prior to that, everyone on earth will have heard about him from the least to the greatest. So in order to make that happen, th this angel kind of picks up the stragglers that in far corners of the earth maybe the 144,000 haven't gotten to, and they hear the gospel. So that by the time Christ comes back, everyone has had the opportunity to either believe or reject uh, the gospel. Now, as far as the mark of the beast, according to the biblical record, unbelievers are the only ones that can take that. And yes, once you've taken it, it kind of seals your fate. You will not believe after that. And a believer will not take the mark. They'll either suffer death or they'll hide out and escape somehow. There has to be some number of believers in physical bodies left at the end of the tribulation because that's the, one, the ones whom Jesus gathers together and says, you know, come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. And they are the ones that populate the earthly kingdom at the beginning. So it's kind of an exact opposite. After the rapture, everyone on earth is an unbeliever. After the second coming, everyone on earth is a believer at first. And then those that are in their physical bodies that procreate and have children, of course, those children over time are born and they need Christ and need to be saved. So eventually there will be unbelievers over that thousand years. But at first, it's only believers. So, uh, but as far as controlling them, it's not so much that the mark of, I mean, it is a control measure for that control grid, but it's not like they then become programmable robots with a joystick. It's more, they still have their, their ability to do things, but if the, uh, lead, the globalist leaders don't want them to do it, they won't be able to. Like, you won't, you know, you, you, they'll even maybe tie it to your cars. And they, there's been talk of that technology now, that where before you can start your car, you've got to have a brain scan, and you've got to make sure you're not, you know, have too much alcohol in your blood or too much this or that. Well, they could connect this digital uh, technology to your car, and if they don't want you to use a car, you won't be able to use a car. You won't be able to buy or sell. You won't be able to eat. You won't be able to do anything. So, it is control, but not in a robotic way, I guess is what I would say. Somebody else? Yes? Can someone repeat that? Have I? So have I experienced any satanic persecution we definitely believe that since the book came out March 21st, there has been an incredible uptick in events and circumstances in our life that we believe is spiritual warfare. Now, have I, you know, 
had a demon come knocking and say, hello, I'm a demon, I'm, a, I'm here to persecute you? No. Uh, but it's uncanny the number of things that have happened since this book hit the market. Now, this book is the culmination of 15 years of research, and it's not my first one on this subject. In 2012, I re released uh, Great Last Day's Deception, Exposing Satan's New World Order Agenda. And it was a much smaller, more rudimentary treatment of it. I was just kind of getting into it, and I was so burdened by it, I wanted to get something out. So we've, we've certainly sensed... Uh, at various times throughout our life, like all of us, times when we felt like we were under attack for one reason or another. But since March 21st, it's been unreal. I mean, I uh, spoke at one conference uh, on Spirit of the Antichrist uh, right after the book came out and uh, nearly collapsed on stage and had an emergency appendectomy that night. You know? um, and then uh, we've had health issues with some of our other kids. We've had, you know... I don't know. Wendy, help me out. We, we could talk to, I don't want to put you on this. Oh, all kinds of car problems. Kids have nearly been in wrecks and messed up the, I mean, been in problems with their car. And uh, we've had pets have gotten out, you know, and uh, we live out on small three acres and you know, pet, trees have fallen over and broken our fence and let the pets get out. And Yeah, we do sense more to the point of the spiritual warfare aspect of it that our dogs seem to see things at night that we can't see and they know something's there. Now, we've caught on our game camera, we've caught, you know, uh, at least one mountain lion. We've caught coyotes and uh, obviously deer and foxes and all that stuff. But um, nothing's ever shown up, but yet they sense, seem to sense something's there. And as you know, animals do have that sixth sense. So, um you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, not by works ministries as small potatoes. You know, we, in the last few years, have gotten a national audience, and we are growing. And it's we praise God for the stewardship. We believe to whom much is given, much is required. We're trying to stay faithful and trusting Him. It's how we make our living. Um, but there are people out there much more uh, well known that I think probably experience even more of that kind of thing. I believe some of them have been killed. You know, I really believe that. I you some stories but I think what distinguishes not by works is two two primary things one is we really believe in the clarity accuracy and urgency of the gospel so whatever we're doing we're trying to promote the gospel but secondly we're one of the few groups out there that are connecting the dots of this global conspiracy through a biblical lens so like I think I said previously there are a lot of people out there talking about the deep state or the global elite or the all the, and they, they kind of get to a point, and then they get stuck, and they think it's about, you know, Republican, Democrat, Donald Trump, Biden, but, and it's so much far above that, so much bigger than that, that they get some of it, and especially with things like the pandemic and the election have really awakened a lot of people to it, and so that's increased our opportunities and, and, and speaking and uh, audience. Um, you know, the book's not quite been out five months and it sold over 5,000 copies, which is not bad for a little guy from Colorado, you know, um, but I wish it would sell 50,000 copies. We give tons away, by the way, and, and I always say at conferences, I haven't said it here, but if anyone here wants some of our resources and finances are tough, please take them as our gift to you. We're not here to sell product. We're here to get the message out. Now, we have to make a living, obviously, but um, We've given tons of, of these out, people, box loads full. People say, hey, man, I want to 
help you. They'll buy a copy, then they'll call us and say, hey, man, I'm going to teach a class on this, or I want to give it to some of my friends. Can you help me out? And we'll just send it to them. We just want to get the message out. So, um, you know, um, it's an important message. I think it's the most important book I've ever written. Uh, and, and volume two, by the way, comes out by Thanksgiving. Uh, and, man, it's, uh, I pray that God will give it the same uh, exposure that he did this first volume. Somebody else? Anybody? Yeah. Are you trying to get me kicked out? So the question basically is about the political process, Donald Trump, the connection to the vaccine, and, and whether I think Trump will run again. So again, obviously everyone has to do the research, study the issues, and come to their own conclusions about this. So the stuff I'm saying, remember, is a result of 15 years of really intense study on all of this. Doesn't mean I'm right. Um, certainly can be wrong many times, just ask my wife. Um, but it is a studied opinion, and, and it's what I've concluded, and I've documented in, in the book here with the bibliography. We are going to talk about Donald Trump a little bit more in volume two, but I'm hesitant to, I thought about devoting a whole chapter to him, and I really decided not to do that because it's such a lightning rod. I, I want to get the message out, and I'm afraid it might you know, turn some people off because they're kind of you know, in, in that realm. But the short answer is uh, we don't have elections. We have selections. The Luciferian elite have controlled the powers in Washington. Congress, Senate, and the Supreme Court are all 100% controlled and have been for years. There's no conservative or you know, liberal. It's all part of, the, part of the controlled system. Congress is the one that has, still has every now and then a little bit of true freedom-loving freshman congressmen that come in every two years, but it doesn't take long for them to get controlled within the first couple of weeks usually, uh, or they give, you know, they leave. Um, but Senate, completely controlled. And I've talked to senators, I've talked to congressmen. Um, so this is not just me shooting from the hip here. This is, you know, again, don't just take my word for it. Validate it yourself. But it's all controlled. So they, when they, I was talking about Dominion voting machines back 15 years ago. And now, of course, everybody talks about them because of the 2020 election. But every election has been rigged. It's all about who they want in there for what purpose and what reason. Um, so it doesn't mean that Trump wasn't really a populist leader and get, had a lot of support. I believe that's true. Uh, I don't believe he's a part of the Luciferian conspiracy. I think he was a useful pawn in the game. But they absolutely had to have him in there to push the vaccine and the pandemic. Um, Absolutely, that was their plan. It, they did not want it to become a political thing. They wanted as many people, not just in America, because we were leading the way on it. We're the ones that did the vaccines, but throughout the world to take this vaccine. And if you can imagine what it would have been like in America if uh, in March of 2020, President Hillary Rodham Clinton had stood up on national TV and told all Christians and churches to stop worshiping God on Easter Sunday for the first time since Constantine in the 400s, would you guys have done it? We wouldn't have done it. No Christians would have done it. They would have, it would have immediately become almost like a civil war 
and it would have immediately become a political issue. And the Democrats might have done it, but the Republicans wouldn't have. So they had to have a Republican in there to get everybody to go along, and frankly, they did. Most, 95% of churches didn't worship God for the first time in church history since Constantine on Easter Sunday. And then, of course, like I mentioned, he put 67 members of the Council on Foreign Relations in his administration. He had uh, all kinds of uh, really evil key people in uh, the Luciferian agenda that were put in there, like Alex Azar was put in terms of charge of health and human services. He was the one that was the North American CEO of Eli Lilly that pushed the Prozac and all the other psychotropic drugs on all of our young people. Uh, that was his health and human services pick. We could talk about his defense secretaries and multiple ones because they all seem to last about six months. But then, of course, the biggest thing is Operation Warp Speed, which he put uh, the one of the board members from Moderna in charge of that and then gave trillions upon trillions of dollars to all of these uh, companies to rush to product a vaccine for a SARS-CoV virus. We never had a virus for SARS-CoV-1 because you can't have a, a vaccine. I mean, we never had a vaccine for SARS-CoV-1 because you can't have a vaccine for a severe acute respiratory syndrome. It's not possible. It's been well over 20 years. They still don't have one for SARS-1, but they came out with an experimental one, unlike any vaccine ever in history. And it shouldn't really even be called a vaccine by the strict definition. Of course, then the World Health Organization changed the definition of the vaccine, uh, but in real time. But uh, it was an experimental gene editing bioinjection. And of course, based on the VAERS system, the Vaccine Adverse Effect Reporting System, there's been orders of magnitude uh, numbers of uh, deaths and illnesses and injuries because of it since then. Uh, so I think that was all part of the plan. I don't think he was in on it. I think he was a pretty free thinker. I mean, he, he's a, a man who made his billions in the porn and, and gambling industry, and he's uh, known for his brashness, and, and, um, and, but they used him for their purpose, and then they got rid of him. They were not about to let him get in in 2020, because even though the presidency is controlled, you are still, after all, the president. And we saw this with Obama. Obama was a Manchurian for eight years, uh, but he still caused some problems for the global elite and the Luciferians. He kind of, when you're the president, you can do some things, even when you're told not to, right? And so they weren't about to leave Trump in there. So. Um, he had a huge following. I still don't understand why, but he did. And uh, even people that understood the dangers of the experimental bioinjection still supported him, even though it was his vaccine. Let's call it what it is, the Trump vaccine. Uh, and so they were, he was, had a huge following, and he won 2020 in a landslide. It wasn't even close. But their plan was to have a placeholder in there, Biden, so they could then really do things. And Biden's really the first president uh, that the Luciferians have put in there who's not neither a Manchurian or a useful pawn or anything else. Like W was a pawn. Um, H.W. was a director. I mean, he was, he's part of the, the Bush dynasty is part of the Luciferians from way back, bloodlines and all. Uh, so W, but W was different. He was a pawn. Uh, Obama was a Manchurian. Uh, Clinton was a pawn, complete pawn. Um, and so on and so forth. But uh, Biden's the first one we have that's literally just a placeholder. I mean, he may not even exist. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm, I know that sounds funny, but he, he, he could be a doppelganger or who knows. Well, he's literally not doing anything. They had to have someone sit behind the Resolute desk so they could do what they're doing. And that's another one of the pieces of the puzzle that causes me to speculate, and that's all it is, speculation that time is short, is that 
I don't know what they're going to do in 2024. I mean, I guess they could have another four years of him as a placeholder if they wanted, or maybe they'll bring in someone that's more like an HW or whatever that's going to actually do things. Um, HW actually thought he was going to inaugurate the New World Order. He thought he was going to be the president that did that. And that's why in the State of the Union address, his first one, he talks about ushering in the New World Order. But uh, anyway, um, so, I mean, I'm sure some of you disagree. I completely respect that. Um, I get it. Uh, there was a time when I would have been a huge supporter of Trump, too, simply because he was a Republican. But you've got to do the research, study it on your own, see what you come up with. But there's a lot more going on than, than meets the eye. Anybody else? Yes. Well, Andrea already did. So, yeah. Well, so he, the question is expand on the vaccine. So chapter nine in the book took the longest and is, is the longest, uh, deals all about the vaccine. And I give the statistics. Let me just uh, cite a couple of things here. Um, like I give the VAERS statistics. Does everybody know what I mean by VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System? So the U.S. Congress gave, um, uh, and it was signed by Reagan, gave all pharmaceutical companies complete and total immunity against liability for injuries resulting from vaccines, which means they can push any vaccine they want, and if it kills people, no consequence. Uh, that was back in the 80s. Um, vaccines were still killing people, and of course they've increased the number of vaccines to 60, 70, 80 now that a typical child will take. And so they, you know, people needed some recourse. So the government created a system where you could get a token amount. I forget what that's called, but it's in the book here. Uh, the organization that evaluates claims of injury from vaccine. But in order to track that, they created VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. And you know, ever since it started, you know, it was it was a pretty much a consistent number of every year of, of reports. Once the COVID experimental bioinjection hit the market, it started to skyrocket. And it is, I mean, there have been, I forget the last latest numbers, but it's in here, but you know two to three times more adverse results of COVID vaccine than all the others put together in the last, since it came out, since they were tracking. I mean, it's just, it's not even funny. So, and, that, and by the way, who ma manages VAERS? It's not independent. It's managed by the FDA and the CDC. So next time someone is pushing safe and effective, Ask them why the FDA and CDC's own tracking system says there have been hundreds upon hundreds, actually more than a million now, adverse injuries because of it. It's their, that's their, you know, you got to use their own data against them. Um, but, you know, we could look, talk about things in the military. I uh, give some statistics here. A whistleblower high up in the military released the documents of the number of military servicemen and women who have, because they have their own VAERS system, uh, you know, I talk about how there's hundreds of thousands in a section called a loud and reputable chorus of dissent. There have been hundreds of thousands of doctors, scientists, virologists, and other surgeons worldwide that have spoken out against this from the beginning, gathering in, in the thousands of, of people that you never hear about it on the Mockingbird-controlled uh, media. Uh, of course, some of you may know David Martin. Uh, he's done a ton of research on this. But 
So here's um, the Pentagon's data uh, on COVID-19 vaccine. It's not really a vaccine, but uh, and this was February 7th, 2022. Uh, reports among those who got the vaccine in the military, which was everybody unless you resigned. And I know a lot of people who resigned. One person, one year shy of his 20-year, you know, could have retired. Hypertension, 2,081% increase. Diseases of the nervous system, 948% increase. Malignant neoplasms of the esophagus, 794% increase. Multiple sclerosis, 580% increase. Malignant neoplasms of digestive organs, 524% uh, increase. Guillain-Barre syndrome, 451% increase. Breast cancer, 387% increase. And so on and so on and so on. It's just through the roof, off the charts. And the only difference is these are the ones who got that vaccine. So, yeah, the vaccine, it's a kill shot. It's clearly uh, killing people. They're, they're vastly underreporting it. In the same way that they overreported COVID, you know, you got killed on a motorcycle accident. Post-mortem, they stick a Q-tip up your nose and say, yep, looks like COVID, and they count it as a COVID death, and the hospital gets tons of money. Now, real people really died from this, the, the upper respiratory virus, SARS-2, SARS-CoV-2, but the numbers were way inflated. It wasn't even funny. In the same way, they're under-reporting the deaths from the vaccine. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, again, you're going to have to do your own research, and I give you the bibliography, bibliography to do that. Don't just take my word for it, but um, I, I, I don't recommend it. If you took it, then just trust the Lord and pray that you know, God, the great healer, can heal you anyway. But if you haven't taken it, don't take it. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, so the question is, you know, when, in dealing with these types of subjects, you have um, people on either extreme. Some people that say it doesn't really matter, nothing to see here, and others that just go off the deep end, obsessing over it. Is that a fair kind of summary of what you're saying? So in the last chapter, chapter 12, towards the end, I have a whole section called Why Does All of This Matter? And I give, I forget how many of those 20, I think, reasons why this does matter. So I would start with some of those, with the people who think none of this matters. Uh, life matters. Life is important. God values life. Um, we, ought to, we ought to go out kicking and screaming. We ought to strive to live as long as we possibly can until God calls us home. We ought not line up and get on the trains, you know. One of the same, same, uh, saddest uh, pictures that I've seen, and I, I show it in some of my presentations, is from the Holocaust, and it shows a Jewish man with a suitcase behind him full stride running after a train that had just left the station for Auschwitz. You know, see, they were told, hey, just come on, you're going to Club Med and have a vacation. And uh, I think some people are kind of like that. They're like, oh, I'll just get on the train. What's the big deal? Well, not me. You know, you're going to shoot me in the back running away from the train because I want to live life as long as I can for the glory of God and do what God wants me to do. I'm not going to give up. So I think just explaining to people the basic biblical anthropology, the sanctity of life, what is life all about, how valuable life is, 
Uh, see, they've dumbed us down enough to where they think that we're just disposable. So uh, if I die, whatever, I'll just die. You know? But that's not biblical. Uh, for those that are going to the other extreme, that are selling all their possessions, you know, moving to a mountaintop, living in a tent, and, and singing kumbaya, waiting for the Lord to come, I think they too need to look at the same biblical principles and say, look, we have a job to do. You know? um, and I, I've, I've lost friends over the issue. I know some friends that really get all into it, and so they literally you know, are getting rid of all their electronics. They don't use internet, don't use smartphone, don't, and they're just, and I'm like, I respect that, and that it's a personal choice. Everybody has to do it. I wish I could do that, honestly. But, you know, I feel like my calling is, is more effective and more productive if I make use of the tools that God has given us, like live streaming and, and technology and, inter, you know, smartphones. I, I hate it. I long for the day when I don't have to use it, and we go back and forth struggling, feeling like we're compromising even using it. But at the same time, you know, I wouldn't be able to, to really effectively communicate with pastors like, Pastor Pyatt and, you know, get invitations to come speak and help get the word out. So you're right. There is an extreme and, and we have to give people the freedom to be wherever they and the Lord feel like they need to be in that continuum and respect that. But for the extremes, I think we have a biblical answer that says, no, you can't ignore it. Proverbs 22.3 says, be prepared. At the same time, you can't so take it all into your own hands. Because the fact is, no matter how much we prepare, you can't prepare for everything. I mean, you just can't. So through it all, you got to do the reasonable things that make sense for you and your family, for where you live, what part of the country you live in, all of that. And then, of course, all the while, through it all, trusting God. In that video series that I mentioned, uh, one of them is on preparedness. And I show a, what I call the preparedness continuum in there. And I talk about balancing uh, faith and preparedness. And, and kind of like what you're saying, if you go to either extreme, you're out of balance. So we trust God, but trusting God doesn't mean, you know, doing nothing. At the same time, I prepare, but preparing doesn't mean forgetting God's protection and just trying to do it all myself, right? Uh, so hopefully that helps clarify a little bit. Anybody?